Hello, my name is Andrew Gary and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Scott Singleton, guest editor for February's The Leading Edge. February's special section highlights eight case studies on unconventionals. Scott discusses how the field can rise to the challenge of unconventionals, the link between unconventional and microseismic, and a brief history on unconventionals. Scott graduated with a BS in geophysics from New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology and received an MS in geophysics from Texas A&M University. His career has spanned companies from Ion Geophysical Corporation and Rock Solid Images and disciplines for marine acquisition and processing, AVO analysis, and rock property analysis. Since 2015, he has acted as Seismic Technology Advisor at Independence Resources Management in Houston, Texas. To read this month's special section, visit library.seg.org. Subscribers can read the full articles in the SEG library and everyone can read the abstracts for free. Now for our conversation. Scott, I like how you approach the introduction this month a bit different from what I've read in the past. Why did you think it was important to give, while brief, a fairly thorough background on unconventionals in the field? Well, uh, primarily, there are a couple of reasons. And one of the main reasons that I did that is because of my editorial background. I prefer introductions to special sections to be informative to the reader and to give background on the purpose of the, of the uh, special section, as well as the fundamentals, the basics, the theory of the material that's covered in that special section. So that's on the one hand. On the second hand, I, this is a subject that is very near and dear to me. And I felt that it was appropriate to go over the background, the, the history of how unconventionals sort of developed and where they're headed in the future, which is probably of more interest to readers out there who are interested in this topic is, you know, like, okay, so we, we, we lived through it. We know where this thing came from. We're involved in, well, XYZ technology, whatever it is. But we're wondering what's happening and where is it going? Because the entire industry has been hit with a huge downturn. Unconventionals were not immune. In fact, they were the first to go and they're also the first to come back. So offshore is still lagging considerably in the uptake of the uh, backside of the downturn, but unconventionals are just blowing and going. So not everybody is happy about the blowing and going part because unconventionals historically have been run by engineers uh, because it's more of a production play um, rather than an exploration play, which is traditionally where geophysics and geophysicists have participated. So what we find ourselves in right now is a situation where we have a technology or a play type which is unconventionals, that are hot and heavy, particularly the Permian Basin. And we are trying to find a place for ourselves in this play. It is not easy. We all have to, we all are struggling to try to figure out how to impositively impact this play and the, and the operations and the production and the exploration that goes on. And it's not easy. 
So my objective here in this special section is to demonstrate the breadth of the discipline that we actually impact, which not everybody, we're all specialists, it seems like. So we all have a little section of the technology that we are experts in. But a lot of times we're not cognizant of the entire breadth of our offering to the industry at large. My objective here is to try to demonstrate and show to our readers, geophysicists, what the breadth actually is. And hopefully, when people read my introduction, as well as all the papers that are in here, they will come away with an understanding that we have a real potential to positively impact this play and to be players. Players meaning valid, valuable participants in the technical development of these, of these assets. Yeah, I really liked how you weaved in the history there with the, the eight papers in this special section. And, and you also, you know, kind of building off the it's not easy. At the top of the introduction, you mentioned how the 80s produced a similar feeling in the field around 3D data, this sense of almost desperation. What current lessons could be applied to unconventionals from this particular time period? Uh, there's a lot of us who were around in the 80s. I actually uh, was uh, working offshore as a doodlebugger in the early 80s. and um, I saw it coming, and I, I left, I quit where I was working, and I went back to school for a, a graduate degree. And so in the luxury of my university setting, I watched the industry completely collapse on itself. Um, and since I was in Houston, one of the things that happened was the huge number of foreclosures. So the housing market collapsed. Um, there were a lot of people who had mortgages that were pretty much on the street. Uh, so this was a really disastrous time. And what came out of that on the backside was several new technologies that then through the 90s came of age, so to speak. And one of those is 3D data versus 2D. So in my offshore experience before that, I mean, we occasionally uh, ran 3D surveys but primarily what most of the industry existed on was 2D because it was much cheaper. Uh, navigation techniques, positioning techniques were not that sophisticated by that time. And, and plus computers, compute power was just not you know, there. The PC revolution was just starting. Coming out of that, everybody got into 3D data. It, it came of age. And then several things happened from that. One is uh, visualization techniques, 3D interpretation. Also, uh, what happened uh, coming out of that was uh, AVO, which is pre-stack. So in that compute capacity that we developed, parallel processing, this mass storage, we were able to go into pre-stack data and then develop AVO techniques. So there were a lot of neat things that happened after the 80s. So, and that happened because we had to survive. We had to figure out how we were going to do things after this huge downturn. So fast forward to 2014, 2015, and oil prices do exactly the same thing as they did in the 80s. They crash because of overproduction, because of whatever. 
And then a lot of us are just, we're out in the street again. I mean, it hugely impacted the entire industry. And a lot of us feel that geophysicists were disproportionately impacted. So we have to do the same thing as we did in the 80s. We have to figure out how we're going to survive, how we're going to impact the, this profession. So what's come out of that is a lot of very neat techniques, technologies, operational procedures that allow us to develop these unconventional plays for a lot less cost per barrel than we did going into this crash. Just one that's not even um, a geophysical technique, but pad drilling and rigs that just kind of walk from one, you know, like 100 feet or, or, or 100 yards or, or whatever from one horizontal to another. That's, that's just hugely impacted the engineering side. So how are we going to do things on the geophysical side, which is the, the subsurface? Um, well, there are a lot of things that are coming into common acceptance now. I talk about, this is one of the first things I talk about in my introduction, and that's geomechanics. Geomechanics has, is, is a wonderful technology that was around before. I mean, this isn't new. We didn't invent anything. That's just like 3D data in the 80s. We didn't invent it. It was there already. We just, there were many things that had to come into play that enabled it to be accepted into the mainstream. And so that's exactly what's happened coming out of the downturn right now is everybody and their dog pretty much talks about doing a geomechanical model and a simulation of the subsurface properties of the reservoir as, as, a, as a common standard procedure for any, any, any play evaluation. That, to me, I'm excited by that. Uh, that's wonderful. I love geomechanics. I personally had to do the same thing most people did as well. And, and that is it's like, oh, geomechanics. Wow, that's a new thing. I have to figure out what that is. Well, a lot of us, in fact, even going further back, a lot of us were raised in conventional techniques. Um, I, I was just uh, saying earlier in the conversation how my early career was offshore doodle bugging. So I knew nothing about these things. I had to learn just like everybody else did. So education and learning is not something that you do in school. It is something that continues for the rest of your career. And we all have to participate in that in order to survive because conditions are changing really, really quickly. Do you think this imperative to innovate and, and figure out cost-effective ways and new ways to do things is one of the reasons this special section had eight published papers on such a wide range of subjects? Partially. I mean, innovation, yes. So per your question, innovation is essential. And, and I think I, I've already talked about how geophysicists need to demonstrate their value in the unconventional place. So that's innovation, just like in the 80s. That was innovation, and it's innovation now. So yes, the whole, I mean, look at what's happening with, say, uh, our, the U.S.'s oil production and our status 
in the oil producing world, shall we say. You know, we're tops sort of uh, interacting with uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia as the top three. Now, that means that we have to produce cheaper and more efficiently than we have in the past. So that is innovative. We have to innovate, figure out how we're going to do that. And geophysics is, well, it's not immune. Um, in order for us to demonstrate the value of us, one of my primary themes, geophysicists, the value of geophysics in unconventionals, it doesn't come naturally. In the old days, offshore plays, especially deep water offshore plays, geophysics was definitely a valuable and necessary component of the exploration scheme. I remember those days fondly. Now it is not that case. Engineers feel that they can just do factory drilling and they can just, you know, do it on their own and they don't need any other discipline. And well, we've heard a lot of stories about how, yes, they can do that, but they're not going to be doing it very efficiently. And their, their ROI is going to be pretty low and the investors to their company are going to hammer them. So they, ha they, understand they have to figure out a smarter way to crack that nut and so that's where integration comes in with not only drilling and completion engineers but geology geophysics geomechanics rock physics i mean you name it we can just go down the list of technologies of disciplines that need to be integrated together in order to come up with a cohesive solution that will increase ROI and increase the efficiency of extracting hydrocarbons from these pretty difficult plays, plays that have rocks that are so tight, they're just saying, hey, I'm a hydrocarbon molecule and I'm happy staying right where I am and you're not going to force me out of here. So we have to figure out ways of coaxing those molecules out of that rock, which is really not easy. So this is where the integration comes in, and that's where we all stand right now. It's a good lead into the next question of how, how can the different disciplines that you're talking about, the geologists, geophysicists, engineers, better work together to rise to this difficulty of getting those molecules out of these difficult situations? So my personal philosophy is that we need to, the, we meaning the unconventional industry at large, needs to adopt the same philosophies that the offshore, the deep, deep water offshore industry had 20 years ago. And that is integrated teams that have different disciplines they're at, they're essentially, it's the concept of an asset team. So an asset team is a, is, a, is a combination of different disciplines all devoted to that particular asset. And they, they you know, they're on their own um, sort of profit center, so to speak, and they're responsible for their drilling plans, their exploration, leasing, you know, anything that has to do with that. So that's not the way that unconventionals have developed. But that, in my opinion, is what we need to do. So there's a lot of us. I'm not the only one. Um, I, I have written about this for the past decade. 
and and I was very satisfied, very happy to hear there were other people who were also leading the charge of integration. And many of those people, or some of them, actually did something about it and created a conference, which is the onshore equivalent of OTC, and that is URTEC. So URTEC is the combination of three societies, the primary societies in the oil industry, which is SPE, APG, and SEG. And they collaborate on putting on this conference. This thing has been going on for probably most of this decade. And of course, it started slow. Uh, but in the early part of the decade, that was in our heyday for, well, the, the oil in- industry at large, especially on conventionals. And it grew by leaps and bounds. Every year that that, every subsequent year that Urtec was put on, it doubled in size. And that is fantastic. The people who were coming, uh, including myself, um, we were just thrilled to see this because we walked into a conference and we saw the primary theme being integration between otherwise disparate disciplines. And all of us, I'm sure, repeated over and over and over individually thought, wow, there's other people who are thinking the same thing. This is fantastic. You know, for like the first time in a long time, I'm I'm very encouraged about our discipline, our our industry at large. And so so this conference grew and the the theme of integration was pervasive. Papers that were presented were encouraged to be collaborative papers showing the different disciplines and how they all link together. So this started showing a lot of people that yes, this can be done. And, it, and there, the results of doing it outweigh the results of not doing it. So as with everything else, the downturn hit and everybody sort of retracted back. Urtec itself um, reduced in size, just like all of the primary society uh, conventions. They all retracted in size. Now, though, now we're coming out the backside of this downturn and the conference again is growing it's uh we had i believe 800 papers submitted for this conference uh that's coming up in July which um it was in Houston this year uh and then next year it's going to be back in its home base of Denver the whole idea though is 800 papers submitted without any timeline extensions for submission, that itself is a demonstration that as we come out of the, this downturn, people are they just they're ready, they're chomping at the bit to hit the floor running and start making up for lost time. And so I predict, based on the evidence that I see, that we're gonna end up being just like the end of the 80s where everyone just hits the ground running and starts implementing some of these improvements, these sea changes to the way we used to do things and to increase efficiency and increase collaboration between the different societies and the different disciplines. 
So that's what I see coming out of Vertec, and I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of that organizing committee because right now I'm representing SEG as the technical co-chair of that committee. So I'm looking forward to some great things. What types of technology and science has the unconventional industry utilized or latched on to further its own work? Well, uh, that's a that's a good question. It's it's that, that question is along the same theme as as I was mentioning earlier about the purpose of my ex- rather extensive introduction to this special section because I wanted to illustrate some of those specific technologies. So we had uh, we have two papers on geomechanics. So I've already uh, talked a bunch about geomechanics. We understand um, how that's essential to uh, modeling the subsurface and the stresses, the stress fields, as well as the rock properties, the rock toughness, um, the ability to induce a, a frack and to maintain that frack without it collapsing on itself. And that's all modeled in geomechanics. But there are many different ways of applying geophysics to unconventional plays. Uh, one that is, has, has reigned rather large in the, um, the consciousness of anybody involved in unconventionals is microseismic. Um, microseismic is something that, well, I, you know, in the offshore industry, there wasn't really much need for such a thing. Uh, uh, like, how, how would you even do that? Uh, so in unconventionals, it was it was natural. It was like we're 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 forcing high pressure fluids into a formation that's tight and doesn't want to accept those fluids. There must be ways, more intelligent ways, of figuring out what's happening in there when we're doing this. So enter microseismic. So it was the theory is absolutely wonderful. It is ever since I first heard of this happening in the last decade, I immediately, like just about everybody else in geophysics, I'm sure, um, realized that, hey, this technology has the capacity or the capability, the hypothetical capability of being the link between engineering and geophysics. Who would ever have thought that there would be such a link? Well, enter microseismic, and we have a link, and all of us are just like going, yeah. Well, okay, as in any new technology, there has been a lot of problems in implementing this. Um, of course, you know, the mud rocks themselves are kind of tough. They, they don't want to give up their secrets. Well, in a new technology, you always you go, you know, two steps forward, one step back, and you move on. So that's what's happened with microseismic. It has matured hugely. The maturity, the amount of technical, theoretical development in microseismic is fantastic. I mean, I just, I compliment all of those people, a lot of seismologists, by the way, who were not even originally in the oil industry, came into the oil industry to develop the theories surrounding microseismic. So that's a way that geophysics directly, the theory, the baseline theories that we're all taught in school has come into play to help us develop these uh, unconventional plays. So leading forward from that, now we have uh, distributed acoustic uh, sensing and distributed temperature sensing. 
DAS and DAS and DTS. So these are the new wave that has come out in the past few years that everyone is latching onto. Again, it's a new technology of a methodology of continually monitoring what's happening when those fluids are being uh, shoved into the formation. So this is something that's currently undergoing a huge amount of technical theoretical development and application in the field. And people are writing about it left and right, which is great. That's wonderful. That's like, that's like half a dozen years ago at like the SCG conference, there were sessions completely devoted to microseismic data. And you couldn't find a place in those, those sessions. You had to stand out in the hallway. So now this is happening with DAS, DTS. It's replacing microseismic as the, the new wave of technology. So this, again, is how we as geophysicists are figuring out new and innovative ways of helping, of proving our value to the unconventional play. And I think we're doing a wonderful job, and that I hope is illustrated in some of these eight papers that I have. Now, some of the other papers are have to do with the standard, the more developed, uh, the more well-practiced uh, geophysical technologies, the things that are in our core repertoire, um, such as reservoir characterization, um, such as processing and acquisition. I mean, seismic data would be nowhere if we didn't have uh, an extensive uh, network of companies and professionals uh, doing all the way from the survey planning to the acquisition uh, with good high resolution navigation and positioning and all of that kind of stuff. And then to, to processing, which is basic image theory. And so we have uh, another collaboration with uh, signal theory in the engineering domain and processing theory in the geophysical domain, and then to interpretation, and then to reservoir characterization via acoustic impedance inversion and uh, pre-stack inversion and those kind of things. So a whole suite of standard core repertoire things we have to pay attention to as well. So I try to pay attention to those issues as well as the newfangled things in this uh, special section. I feel like you, you covered the next two questions. Uh, so I, I just kind of want to wrap up a, a summary question here. You know, given your experience in the industry, your involvement with Urtech and Unconventionals and just coming across in this interview, your general excitement about this field, what, what did you take away from these eight articles that, you know, keep you excited for the future? What I come away with is exactly that. I Actually, I would just be repeating the way you framed that question. The excitement is in looking at these eight articles to see not only are we continuing and will always continue to develop our core technical competencies, we will be also looking for new theories and new techniques to help with unconventionals. And my excitement stems from seeing that people are doing all of this, 
seeing the submissions of articles once this special section was announced just demonstrates to me that I'm not the only one out there that has excitement about this. I think I'm just the person who just happened to coordinate others who share that excitement and wanted to let the world know about it. So this, to me, gives me a lot of joy and a lot of faith that our industry is not only going to survive, we are going to, in my opinion, we are going to succeed in demonstrating to the world that we as a discipline are not to be taken lightly. We are an essential component of the unconventional field, the unconventional technologies of companies that go out and lease acreage and want to drill wells and produce in an efficient manner. We're people that will, we will demonstrate that we're going to help you achieve that. So it's still going to be a couple of years before we're on our feet again. So we have to be diligent. We have to maintain a, a sense of urgency, but also a healthy respect for the fact that a lot of us suffered hugely in this downturn. So let's not take anything lightly. Let's forge forward and let's make an impact. That's what I want. That's my message. And I know a lot of people share that. So I, I thank them for participating in this by submitting papers. And I'm very excited to present these papers to SEG and to the readers of the TLE. At seg.org slash podcast, you will find the complete show notes for this episode. Follow Seismic Sound Off at seg.org slash podcast to hear new episodes or subscribe for free on your phone. Seismic Sound Off is sponsored by the SEG Wiki, the place to find hundreds of biographies of geoscientists, open access tutorials, and ongoing translations of SEG's best-selling book, Robert Sherr's Encyclopedic Dictionary. Type wiki.seg.org into your browser to visit the world's first online geophysics encyclopedia. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Ashley Rodriguez, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off. <laughs>